Dwayne's World with Dwayne Russell. Hello and welcome to Dwayne's World. Great to have you camping wherever you might be listening. It's 10 o'clock madness in some parts of Australia, but you can jump on the line. We'll have a little bit of midday madness going right now. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. You call, you get on. That's a midday madness promise. If you're hearing me for the first time, Simply pick up your phone, dial the number, anything in the world of sport you'd like to discuss. We'll get you on to talk about it. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. And that open line brought to us by Werribee Kia. Werribee Kia awarded National Kia Car Dealer of the Year. Werribee Kia makes buying cars easy. You can send through a text as well. I'll read a heap of your texts out. 0433981116. Temper and 40 Winks. Temper Consumer's Choice winner. Temper mattresses, pillows and adjustable bases conforms to the exact shape of your body. One three hundred seven three six seven three six. Anything in the world of sport you'd like to discuss? Jump on the line. We've got some Signet Boost power banks to give away. We've got uh, some rounds of golf, a couple of Dwayne's World t-shirts as well. So jump on the open line. Rodney Eads going to join us a little bit later on. We've been talking a lot about what's happening in Tasmania, whether they will or won't get an AFL nineteenth license, uh, whether they will get the vote and the government money and all those kind of things. They're hoping to get in late March, the way it's transpiring now, but it might be early April, and whether it's been the AFL's fault that football hasn't grown in Tasmania, in fact it's gone backwards in Tasmania, is it the AFL's fault, is it the civil war that happens in Tasmania and footy that is the worry, uh, Glenorchy's in trouble, Rodney Eads old club, we'll find out from Rodney Eads a little bit about that story and that little argument between Glenorchy and AFL Tasmania which has hit the headlines in Tasmania as well and now on the mainland. And we'll have a chat to Louise Fleming live from the tennis, BP live from the tennis. Plenty coming up from the tennis a little bit later on. It's women's semi-finals day today and night. So Alana Rybakina and Victoria Azarenka are playing later today. Arena Sabalenka and Magda Lynette as well later today. And then tomorrow it's the men's semi-final double. So you've got one men's semi-final in the afternoon and one at night. Stefanos Sissipas and Karen Kachanov and Novak Djokovic and Tommy Paul, which I think, although BP might confirm it for us, I think the Novak Djokovic-Tommy Paul match might be the night match tomorrow night, which kind of might be a straight sets wipeout, but um, I think Novak is due uh, Rod Laver Arena, so he'll be playing tomorrow night. If you've got a thought on a few stories floating around, I don't have a problem. What are your thoughts on this? I don't have a problem if the umpires are given a hard copy printout of stats in the future. Uh, There's been a lot of talk about umpires not having access to stats, not having the ability to look at who's, who's played well after the game. And I get that. I understand it. But there's been a, a couple of stories floating around about umpire and stats and whether they should have access or not. Um, if you've got a thought on it, one three hundred seven three six seven three six. I've always thought it crazy that if an umpire, or well, the umpire's group, doesn't know how many goals a full forward has kicked, for example, no one outside of that umpire's group is allowed to inform them as to how many goals have been kicked. I mean, if, if there's a stat sheet there saying Lance Franklin's kicked 10, not 8, as the umpires might have thought, uh, it's no big deal for me. I, I don't mind them having a hard copy printout. And I think it would be worth our while. The umpires have a lot to do. Why wouldn't you allow them some facts like that? Mobile phone use in rooms banned. I get that. I understand why. And fair enough. You don't want them checking their mobile phones if... That is the allegation for some at the moment uh, in the press. But they should, I think, get a numbers printout to help them back up what they think they saw. So have you got a thought on that? one three hundred seven three six seven three six, Or you've been watching the tennis 
And you've got a thought on that. one three hundred seven three six seven three six is the open line number. And we'll take a heap of your calls for Midday Madness straight after the break on early 10 o'clock, Dwayneswell. A little bit of a freeze-up. Keep your text coming through as well. Quite a bit of love for Scotty Cummings and co. on the text. Uh, we're doing the job. Josh Carr's spoken about Port Adelaide as well. It's been an interesting change-up over summer as to the teams coming back, what they've been able to do, what they've been able to put together, the AFL teams as part of their pre-season. Josh Carr has spoken on a couple of things happening at Port Adelaide, including uh, um, Xavier Dersmer's Develop and development and uh, Willie Rioli Jr.'s development. Here's a bit of Josh Carr on Xavier Dersma. Yeah, I think X has had a he's had a great preseason, and I've been really impressed by his attitude um, towards towards his game and the way that he wants to improve and, and get better. Um, he's obviously had a, a few injuries over the last couple of years as well. So, um, touch wood, he's had an injury-free preseason. Um, you know, I, I think he just rounds out the midfield, especially on the outside. You know, I've seen. Um, playing on a wing and um, at, at times maybe pinching inside, but the majority of the time um, owning that that wing and um, you know giving the the, the team the, the run up and down the ground that we know that at his best um, he, he can give this group. Yeah, he's tracking well. Um, yeah, Willie's been great um, within 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 the group. Um, you know, from pre-season start of pre-season to away on the camp, he's fitted in really well, um, and you know his skills really come out. Um, in our training session, so um, he hasn't put a foot wrong. He's looking fit, and um, I think he's pretty excited about um, you know this group and also being at this football club. So it's exciting to have him here. Um, and Jason, he's been on the track the last two weeks. So um, as I said, we, our match practice is, is stepped up, and, and Jason's been out there. So you know, for him, it's about being ready for round one, um, fitness-wise. So he's building that. It's slightly coming. You, you know, you've only got to come down to a session to have a look, and um, you can see. Uh, what he's got, and he does a couple of things, and you, you know, definitely think you see the talent. You see the talent that he's got. A little bit of uh, Josh Carr talking about Port Adelaide's prospects and a couple of their gun players over the preseason. Rhett and Melton, you got a thought on the umpires? Welcome to you, Rhett. As we head to the phones, one three hundred seven three six seven three six. Yeah, thanks, mate. I appreciate it. Uh, just uh, two things on the umpire with the stats. One, why change what is not broken? And two, if you're talking, if you're referring it to the uh, Brownlow vote, it's always the fairest and best. We don't know what is said to the umpires out there. I mean, a guy, I remember a few years ago, Michael Tuppen was playing, he had something like 45 possessions. So I wonder what he said to the umpire. So, but what you say, Rhett, the fairness for in one umpire's eyes is a bit different to the fairness in another umpire's eyes. I mean, they're, they're all human beings. They've all got a different idea as to uh, what's abuse, what's not abuse, because some pay 50-metre penalties for a word and the others hear the same word and don't pay the 50-metre penalties. So you would think that the fairness is also a bit of a grey area when it comes to uh, a thought as to whether it's fair or not, that abuse. Yeah, that, that's right. But that's why the, it, it, everyone's everyone's different. Everyone has a different tolerance level, right? So, do you and think they should go on? Some have a, a low tolerance. Some have a high. You know, and put up with it. They probably check back to them, tell them to pull their head in, which is okay. It shouldn't happen. Yep, I should go to divorce himself from the 
the angry bits of it, you know. But I'm just saying, people want to change things. They want to change everything, yeah. The Melbourne Cup, they want to change. The Cox Plate, they want to change. Why? Well, my question to you is, if if the umpires don't know how many goals a a full forward's kicked, should there be a hard copy printout for them to at least check it so they can say, well, I didn't realise he kicked 10? No, but they must. They must have realised that this guy's had a fair bit of the ball and he's played well. So, you know, it it just depends uh, on what the umpire sees and what the umpire thinks is the best player. Not looking at stats. Stats, you might as well just give it to the hills. Sarah, just there you are. Yeah, I get that. But what if you've got Voss and Buckley going head-to-head and the umpires yeah. want to think, well, gee, um, who did have the most of it between those two? Well, they should know. They're out there. They're within 10 yards of it. Yeah. They would know. Better than a camera. Yeah, have you got a thought on this? one 300 Rat, appreciate your call. Um, and send through your text, 0433981116. Got a Signet Boost power bank coming away, Rat, so we'll give that to you. We've got a few of those to give away. Appreciate you starting the discussion at least. But if you think, do you think they should have a copy printout of the numbers at least for the umpires if they want to check in the future? We'll take your calls on that. Plenty still to come. Rodney Eat after one, and we'll talk some tennis as well. You with Dwayne's well. Dwayne's World with Dwayne Russell. It's an early midday matters, but it's great to have your company on Dwayne's World. one 300 If you'd like to join me anything in the world of sport, you'd like to discuss, dial the number, we'll get you on. Mick and Bendigo coming to you in a matter of seconds. In fact, Mick, after this call, got a prize for you. We've got uh, a bottle of Starwood Twofold Double Grain Australian Whiskey, thanks to Hairy Dog Summer of Aussie Spirits. Hairydog.com.au. I should have... Uh, asked how old you are, Mick, before uh, I went to your call and awarded you that. If you're under 18, we won't be giving it to you, but uh, we've got a few other things to give away as well. Some rounds of golf at the magnificent St Andrews Beach Golf Course to give away today, valued at $210. Some Brick Lane Brewing vouchers as well. So uh, plenty to give away today as well as the Signet Boost Power Banks, thanks to Signet, that'll keep your phone charged up all day long. Mick in Bendigo, welcome to you, Mick. Thanks for holding. Yeah, g'day, Dwayne. How are you, mate? Love the show. I'm good. You are old enough to take that uh, whiskey. Yeah, I think we're on the. I think we're about the same age, Wayne. So I think we're right. safe there. So thanks very much. <laughs> good, yeah, good work. Beautiful. <laughs> beautiful. Dwayne, um, we haven't always had access to uh, champion data stats, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Like, I mean, those things have those things have have, have grown over the past decade or, or 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 more. But I mean, surely you're a player, Dwayne. You were out in the thick of the action. You were there. Surely, when you're on the field. You had an idea about which of your which of your teammates played well, which of your opponents had a day out, those sort of things. I mean, you're in the thick of the action. You're there. I think that's part of the beauty about being in the crowd too, being up in the stands. You're you're observing the game with, with and make and forming your own opinions. You know, I just yeah, I just think that umpires could be clouded a little bit by stats and and and, and I mean, it might endorse what they already think, but I mean. You're there. You're in the thick of it. You're there. You're seeing it live, you know? Yeah, I get that. But some players themselves don't even know uh, how many goals they kicked. I think sometimes some simple stuff makes sense. I think Billy Brown has kicked, might have been 11 goals at the Gabba 
one day in a game that I played in, and I, I didn't realise he'd had that big a day. But it wasn't until you got told afterwards. So even if you're in the thick of the action, you don't necessarily know. It's just a thought. We're, the world's changed a bit, Mick, and I do think the umpires are expected to do a lot. Now, there is three of them out there, and I don't mind, a, as I said, a hard copy printout. Not, not mobile phone access, but a hard copy printout if they wanted access to it. But you're right. Uh, the, the, maybe it doesn't need changing. And the Brownlow normally, there's one or two during the year where you think, well, how did he get the votes for that game? And surely they should have given him this, that. But um, for the majority, they do get them right. So there might be no need to change. You might be spot on. Well, on the, on the, on the, on the, off, on, on the reverse of that, surely, surely players know when they've had a shocker. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you know when you've had a shocker, Mick, because you count the minutes between touches. You know when you haven't touched it all quarter, don't worry. It's only when you're getting it a lot that you lose count. Uh, great to have you called, Mick, and thanks for jumping on the line. Hold the line, we've got that whiskey coming your way. Alan on the road, welcome to you, Alan. G'day, great doing how are you? Good. Can, can, can you hear me? Oh, you got you that loud and clear, Alan. Yeah. Look, I, I, I don't disagree with you too often, but I just, I just think in this case, um, one of the beauties of Brownlow is the fact the umpire is also making a mistake. So sometimes it's a good thing to um, have a slip one, one through and and give the vote to the wrong person. I think if you give them the stats and they can sit down and look at it, mm. more more times than not, the, the centre players, the uh, you know the uh, the on bowlers are going to get the um, the uh, stats anyway because. Irrespective of what happens, because that's happened to many games where a player will kick six, seven, and doesn't even pull a vote because the yeah. others have so much more involvement. The other thing I want to say about uh, Novak Djokovic, look, I'm not a big fan of him, but he's so, so much better than anybody else. It's almost given. People are saying, well, you know, is he injured? Is he not injured? Um, I, I don't think he's feigning it, but if he is, it doesn't really matter. Imagine he's not injured. He really is, I think, at least 70 or 80% better than anybody else. Is. I mean, in this specific tournament, because I think uh, it doesn't matter how well the other ones play, uh, at the very least, they're going to take, at the very most, they're going to take one set off him. Yeah, it's almost yeah. Uh, not really pretty to watch anymore, you know? <laughs> well, that's the decision the schedulers have to make tomorrow night, because you would think Novak Djokovic is going to wipe Tommy Paul off the court tomorrow night, the unseated American. Uh, so, but they'll probably still will put him on prime time. Novak, even though, you know, he should get through in, in straight sets. The Stefanos Sissi pass Karen Kachanov match might be a little tighter. It might go 4-5 or um, uh, give us, you know, four hours of entertainment. But I think they're going to put that on in the afternoon. And I'm with you on Novak. Um, to be honest, we, we, I whinge. Uh, we all whinge when sports people hide their injuries, when they tell us lies about their injuries. Uh, we ask them, oh, have you, got a, have you got a sore finger? Have you got a hamstring and they say no nothing wrong and then they limp and hobble and you know that there probably is something wrong but often in team sport we don't get the information what we're finding in tennis is that even if it's a slight hamstring you know it might not be a major tear but it might just be a slight tightness we're getting told they're putting a strapping on it they're getting a trainer to come out and treat them when it's only maybe one out of ten pain it's only maybe a one out of ten uh injury worry for them but they've got the timeout parameter to use. So why wouldn't you use it? Tennis allows him, you to use it. So even if it's a 1 out of 10 kind of issue you've got that wouldn't see you wave to the bench in a game of footy and say, oh, I need to come off for this, in tennis you can because that's the sport. That's the allowance they've got. 
And if everybody has that allowance to use the injury timeout, regardless of whether it's a 1 out of 10 injury or a 9 out of 10 injury, why wouldn't you use it for a 1 out of 10 injury, especially early in a match, so it doesn't end up being the 10 out of 10 injury that forces you to retire a set later. So I'm, I'm with the tennis players who are honest. I'm with the players who, if they want to take a medical timeout for a 1 out of 10 issue, and this is what, this is what it might be with Novak. I mean, it might be just a minor hamstring tightness. But if he doesn't get it treated, if he doesn't keep harping on the fact that, okay, it is there, it is there, and get his trainers to look after it and maybe take the occasional medical timeout, he might not be able to get to the final because the accumulation of time on court and the accumulation of load through it without any treatment, if he tries to just ignore it, might end up seeing him not able to win this tournament. So I'm with you on Novak, and I'm with the people who are of the belief that this is, in some ways, I think it's been a a bit of a beat-up story, this Australian Open, because we haven't had that many other stories to talk about. What have we had? I mean, the balls are flat and the taxis aren't, you know, picking people up. It's costing a fortune. So we haven't had that many stories outside the actual tennis because Novak's been the dominant story for years now and he's the dominant force in tennis. And I think you do have to sit back. Now, I didn't... I Obviously, there's, there's arguments as to what the government did or didn't do last year and what we all had to do, especially in Victoria when COVID came around. And it was a dangerous time. Let's not try and rewrite history right now. It was a dangerous time to be alive, especially for the elderly. Now, you can dislike Novak if you like, but you also, in some way, I think, have to sit back now. And if you like your tennis and love your tennis, you just got to say, wow, this guy is awesome. And I appreciate how good he is. So that for the purity and the beauty that he provides the game on the court, whether I like him as a personality or not. Uh, if you want to watch good tennis, you have to watch Novak because he's playing the best tennis that maybe has ever been played right now in the modern game, at least, even though you probably still love McEnroe and co who played the old-style game with touch and deflection and the cleverness and the artistry of those days. Um, and on the, on the Brownlow thing, to be honest, I think if an umpire did have a hard copy printout sometimes to show that a full forward, say Bailey Fritch kicks five goals of Melbourne's 10 in a win. Now, yeah, it's not, he hasn't kicked a dozen, but if you kick five goals of a team's 10, uh, you might actually think to yourself, well, he actually does deserve a vote for that. I, I didn't realise he was that influential. So that's where sometimes a lower tally of stat could actually help a player get a vote where he might not have got a vote previous. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm okay either way. If the umpires never, ever get access to stats, I'm fine. And if they do get a hard copy printout of stats in the future, I'm also fine with that. Um, we all get it in the media. We all have access to it. And sometimes if you don't have access to it, you think you double, you double guess yourself. You think, did he really play that well? Oh, yeah. Fritch kicked five of their 10. He did play as well as I thought he did. Thanks for your call, Alan. Um, got something for you from the prize pack as well. You've got a Brick Lane Brewing voucher coming your way. Brick Lane, one love pale ale, perfect for all occasions. And the ultimate crowd, please it, drink responsibly. Head back to your calls very shortly, one 736 736 the open line number. Keep your text coming through as well. G'day, Dwayne. All the best for 23. Umpires and local country footy don't get champion data stats and you never hear of any complaints about the league best and fairest winners. As to the mystique of the Brownlow, I say cheers, Simo, in Wonga Park. Appreciate your text Simo. Andrew and Hyatt, you've got a thought on this. Welcome to you, Andrew. Hey, Dwayne. Hey, just want to go back on your point of five out of ten goals and you might get some votes. Then, you, then again, you might get one player who, if a team picks ten goals, he might have ten goal assists. Yet there could be another player in that team that gets 40-plus touches. 
mm. and no goal assist. So where do you stop with stats to, for votes? Well, maybe you don't stop, Andrew. Maybe you that's what the stat sheet has. I mean, if an umpire believes, gee, I thought he set up seven goals today, and the stat sheet confirms it, then at least he's getting his own mind confirmed in a way. So, yeah, but you're right. How deep do you go, and how long do you want them to sit there and, and go through it after the game? Uh, I mean, the system we've got now ain't broken, so I agree with you on that, at least. Yeah. But it could be 10-goal assists from 12 touches, where his teammates had 45 touches. Yeah. I mean, there yeah. could be games where Cyril Rioli got votes, um, you know, because he he had at minimal times but had uh, such a big impact in the eyes of the umpires that he kind of wowed them so much with seven or eight quick bits of brilliance that if the stats were there, he might not have got votes. But the other might also be true. You might think, gee, Cyril only had it seven or eight times today, but did he set up goals with all seven? And then you realise, okay, he did. So, you know, that it might just confirm or or um, disprove something in their eyes. But it's a that's the beauty of the argument, Andrew. It's an interesting one that I've been having in my own mind for a long time now. So I appreciate you joining in. Uh, Mark in Bacchus Marsh, you there, Mark? Dwayne, how you going, mate? I'm good. What do you got for me? Mate, I want you to remember this conversation. We'll be the first two to ever talk about this on live radio. There's going to be a day coming when someone puts forward that an AI, artificial intelligence, Mm -hmm. does the Brownlow voting for every game. And it'd be completely impartial. Yep. It will take every stat into account. It will... It will allow for things that humans don't, and it will take away the negative things that humans bring to the table, like they don't like somebody, or somebody might have mouthed off to an umpire, even though they're best player, the umpire holds it against them, maybe, and we know it happens, and they don't get votes when they should. So AI technology, is it coming to the Brownlow one day, Dwayne? I think it probably will. When? I don't know. But I can see it happening. You might be 100 years ahead of your time, Mark. I appreciate your call on it. Uh, and there are things that happen on a football field and in sport that can't be measured. And that's the thing that champion data will never be able to do. I mean, a ruckman who drops back in the hole and forces a team to kick out in the full three kicks in a row because they didn't want to go down the line straight to the opposition ruckman. So he's actually caused three turnovers just through presence. You can't stat it. How are you going to stat that? How's AI ever going to work that out? That's naked eye stuff, and that's the beauty of footy. Uh, because every fan that rings this show, every fan who goes to the ground, has an opinion based on naked eye, and there's some naked eye stuff that happens in a game of footy that AI and champion data and stats will never, ever, ever be able to measure. Back to your calls next after a quick break for news. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. David and Mender, I'll come to you first. It's an early Dwayne Ford and it's an early midday madness. Let's go straight back to your calls. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. David in Mernda, you got a thought on this. Welcome to you, David. Yeah, g'day, Dwayne. Uh, great to have you. Um, I'm just uh, curious about the, the same sort of situation with the umpires about, um, you know, are we going to go down the same track when it comes to the Norm Smith medal on the best on grade? You know, maybe should those selectors not look at the statistics at all and then vote share on the naked eye like you're suggesting? Yeah, I reckon that'd be... Because umpires are attuned to giving votes without stats. So that's what they're attuned to. But media people aren't attuned to working out their best players without looking at the numbers. There's not a lot of media 
that watch your game and just go on gut feel and naked eye these days, David. So if you took stats away from them, I reckon it would make their task extremely difficult. Yeah, absolutely. I, like, I, I totally agree with you. And I think that's, you know, like you look back at the 2010 grand final, you know, like if the stats weren't looked at, would Brendan Goddard be better than Lenny Hayes initially? Or, you know, it's just one of those things. I think the stats were there and hence the reason why Lenny maybe took that over Brendan that day. So the coaches also for the AFL Coaches Association Award, they would know the numbers. They would know what their guy did. If they want to give a, a vote in the Coaches Association Awards to a full back, they'd know the numbers. Oh, he kept him for two, to two kicks, a handball, and one behind. So they would know those numbers themselves as well. So just about everything else gets done based on a, a, an opportunity to view the numbers, the stats, the facts, to back up your mental opinion. So that's the, that's the issue that we're facing here with the umpires, and that's why... It's a good discussion. I, we would never wind that back for the Norm Smith to make those guys sit in a little box, David, with no access to the numbers, would we? The voters there? No, I wouldn't think so. That's why I just sort of put it out there, you know, because I guess, you know, um, they're, they're, giving, they're giving an award away, I guess, on the same sorts of merits, I, I believe, yeah. in a sense. I appreciate your call, David. Hey, hold the line. got something for you. Uh, you've got a uh, round of golf for you and a mate at the magnificent St Andrews Beach Golf Course, valued at $210. Great to have St Andrews Beach Golf Course with SEN. Keep your calls coming, one three hundred seven three six seven three six. 736 AI is 100 years away. Um, I think you better go and do some research. Well, it might not be 100 years away, AI, in terms of the real world. I know it's here now. I mean, if you, you know, you can get anything done with AI these days. If I want a picture of me painted by Picasso then I just put it into a computer program and bang, I've got a Picasso of myself and I can get it actually painted with real paint on a machine that can paint it for me uh, in that style as well and it'll be painted with real paint. So, I mean, that's, that's the beauty of the things that we've got these days. AI has been brilliant, but whether it would ever judge, I think we're 100 years away from it judging um, sporting awards myself, but you might be right. Maybe I'm an idiot. Uh, another one here, until the AI learns how to be biased, etc. Um, then we're in trouble. Uh, that, I don't think we'll ever have AI deciding the Brownlow either, but it's fun to have the argument. Back to your calls and text straight after the break. Dwayne's World with Dwayne Russell. Grab out your calls and your texts for Midday Matters for Melbourne Roadside Rescue, Wrong Fuel Extraction. Search up shipcreek.com.au for Melbourne Roadside Rescue. Back to your calls and your texts. So many texts coming through. A um, couple here. Uh, isn't the mystique of how humans see things differently the best thing about humans? And uh, I agree with that as well. There's another one here. Um, AI has to learn to be biased. Pipe, 20 years away. Uh, that's from Gia. And you might be, that's where we're at right now. Okay, so we've got a system where you have umpires and it works really well. It's not broken. So then you start having people accuse umpires of being biased and then you think, well, we need to have a better system because umpires are biased and we should bring in AI. And then you bring in AI, uh, which bases everything on stats, and then it's not biased. And then AI over time learns to be biased because that's what AI does. It learns and learns to have uh, players and, and stats and one particular criteria of stats that it likes as opposed to another. Uh, one AI might uh, believe that hit-outs are more important than goals kicked. 
So then you have AI starting to be biased. So in 30 years' time, you go back to a system where you don't have AI, you just have umpires in the middle and let the humans do it again. So maybe that's the evolutionary track we're on. We'll head back and forth and have a little circle and get back to umpires eventually anyway. Gary in Ballarat, welcome to you, Gary. Hello, Dwayne. Hello. You want, to, you want to take me back to 55, Gary? Yes, I do. Um, pretty goals before they ground my middle by one base for Billy Hutchinson. Uh, who'd already won two Brownlows. In the first quarter, Freddie Goldsmith was outstanding, and uh, Dick Reynolds with Hugh Mitchell onto him at quarter time. Hugh Mitchell kicked nine goals six in the next three quarters, and Freddie Goldsmith still got the three votes. And <laughs> Bruce Hutchinson. So what is the Hutchinson Wow, Gary, that's a nice memory you've got. Uh... What do you, how do you think we're going with the umpiring these days, given you've given us a recollection of 55 and you still watch footy these days? Has umpiring got any better? Is it worse? Three umpires better or worse than one? No, I think, um, uh, I think that two umpires is the best, in my opinion. Uh, but the umpiring still, you know, like it goes either way. It's, I can't, you can't go and knock umpires. They're out there doing their best. They are out there doing their best. Gary... Uh, I really appreciate your call. Hold the line. We've got something for you. Uh, we've got a bottle of Starwood Twofold Double Grain Australian Whiskey thanks to Hairy Dog's Summer of Aussie Spirits. That's coming your way, hairydog.com.au. Great to have your company on Dwayne Tord and for Midday Matters. Keep your texts coming through and your calls coming through. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. We'll talk more footy in about 15 minutes' time. Rodney Eads is going to join us on the story of Tasmania. Are they? Will they? Won't they? Will they possibly get the 19th licence? Will Glenorchy sort their stuff out with Football Tasmania, given there's a bit of an argument going on there at the moment? We'll talk some monster trucks. We'll talk some tennis as well. Louise Fleming and BP not far away. So great to have your company for Dwayne's World on this early edition. Always great to have your company for Dwayne's World early edition today. And we're here with a bit of Midday Madness early edition as well for Melbourne Roadside Rescue. Wrong fuel extraction. Search up shipcreek.com.au. Head back to a few of your calls very shortly on that open line brought to us by Werribee Kia, 1300 736 736. But I'm lucky enough to be joined by well, one of the greatest AFL, VFL coaches of all time. 377 games coached. I think he's 16th all time for games coached in AFL, VFL history, which is a phenomenal record. Three clubs, Sydney, Bulldogs and the Gold Coast. He's a four-time premiership player with Hawthorne in his own right and started up with the Brisbane Bears when they were up there as well. So if anyone knows about Tassie, uh, it's the Tasmanian himself, Rodney Ed from Glenorchy, for having some problems with their own. Welcome to you, Rodney. Great to have you on. Thanks for your time. Oh, Dwayne, how are you, mate? All right? Oh, I'm good. I'm good. I'm, you know, pretty excited about what the future might hold for Tasmania and a 19th licence, yep. but we'll, we'll get to that very shortly. But um, there is a little bit of a, a problem with Glenorchy and fielding players and they're having a, a bit of a war of words in a way with AFL Tasmania. How are you seeing that little back and forth in the last 48 hours? Uh, yeah, I've probably got a little bit more uh, sight of talking to different people. I think I think everyone's got to take a bit of blame. I think Glenorchy got to uh, take some uh, blame for it as well. I mean, it's interesting, Glenorchy, people don't know Tasmania. Glenorchy's got a great big catchment. Uh, area for for players. Uh, it's been one of the the bigger clubs and one of the stronger clubs uh, in Tassie. To get to this stage is uh, it's a real shock to everyone. Um, but I think you know they've got to take some issue about why players 
don't want to play there and about the development, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I think AFL Taz too. They've got to take some blame as well that um, you know, the salary cap really tight and policed really tight for the statewide league. I think it's ninety five thousand, but the lower leagues aren't being policed. So it's affecting all clubs, but um, they go for you know the seconds players and fringe players and even some other players are going to these clubs for more money. And I suppose that happens in country Victoria as well. That you know. They go for more money to the district teams, and uh, that's happened, and that's had an effect. So I think it's a really a shot across the bow for Tasmanian footy in general, and I know you'll get on to AFL Taz, but... I'm um, oh, sorry, have an AFL team in Tasmania, but um, uh, getting an AFL team in Tasmania is not going to fix all the ills. There are some issues and some problems, and uh, if Lenorki did fold, it's uh, it's one of many teams that have folded over the last uh, over the last period. So, So it's a bit of a concern. So 2023 gives us a chance to have a complete reset, doesn't it, Rocket? We know footy in Tasmania uh, isn't flourishing, so that's been on the case. We know that it hasn't helped not having an AFL team licence when they could have had one, you know, maybe instead of the Gold Coast, etc. We've had those arguments, but there seems as if there's, there's a number of people in the blame game. It's the AFL haven't given us enough. It's the civil war in Tasmania between the two sides of the state and uh, there's a few little civil wars breaking out at the moment because it, it maybe is a time for a reset, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I think, uh, I think we've got, really got to have a look at the structure and how what's best. And I think money can be an issue, Wayne, to be honest. And I think uh, it's probably not enough around. Like, I reckon I uh, found out the other day that one of the biggest concerns for me is that young players are actually going to South Australia to play with the hope of being drafted. There's a couple played for the South Australian State team last year and one of them got drafted by Essendon this year. Two or three of the young lads who missed out this last draft are now contemplating leaving North Hobart and going to play in South Australia. So they're losing the best youngsters as well to seek green opportunities. And now that's a big... To me, that's in a big alarm bell. I mean, they should be able to have a strong enough competition that these lads play there and stay with their clubs and be able to be drafted. And I think AFL recruiters are not seeing the competition strong enough. So um, it's a bit of the old catch-22, but I think you're right. There's got to be a reset and let's revamp. Um, and it's, even if we get the licence, the 19th licence, it's still going to be five years, say, before they start playing. So you've got another five years of draining players who might leave or clubs struggling. Um, so I don't know. I think money is the solution, but whether it's government, whether it's AFL or whatever, they need to, I think, invest in the development and set the structure up correctly. Yeah, you, I mean, John Menzies, one of those players you're talking about, yeah. and he started Essendon's yeah. trial game a couple of days ago, kicked the hip of goals, but you're right, he's a Tasmanian, but had to almost go to SA to get either some finishing polish so recruiters would grab him or because he felt like he had to leave Tasmania and go to a a better competition. So is there still a bit of a civil war happening in Tasmanian footy, Rodney, or are they? Are we, have we moved past it? I know it's been there in the past. I don't live there. Is there still a, a bit of the, the no, we don't want Hobart to yeah. get everything? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, that, that'll exist. <laughs> that's existed right. since you died. That happens in all sports. That happens in life. That's, uh, that's very much uh, the case. And I think... Uh, uh, I think that can be bridged, but you know it's got to be done correctly as well. I don't. I'm, I'm, I mean, you'll probably some understanding of it, but I don't know whether a lot of people have got the understanding of the depth of that. And I think, like, if they build a new stadium in Hobart and most games are played there, that would probably be uh, an affront to the northern. It needs to be shared, and it needs to be 
united and there needs to be really everyone on board. Uh, and that can be achieved, there's no doubt about that, but it's certainly different to other states um, and needs to be, uh, I think, uh, introduced the right way. So would a 7-4 Launceston-Hobart split of home games be okay or do you think it needs to be pretty much even? Uh, I don't know. I'd, I'd have to, you'd have to get more information. But I, I think... If you've got 11 games, 6-5, it'd be okay, 7-4 maybe, except or no no less than that. I would have thought to have three in Launceston and eight in Hobart would be uh, would be palatable. I'm just I'm just sort of talking on the fly here a moment. So, But you've really got to unite the state. I know Hobart's the biggest city and there's probably more uh, business and uh, et cetera, et cetera. And, but, yeah, there's been ver- fertile football areas like, you know, Bulldog and these from the northwest coast and from Launceston, Roach and these sort of players. So there, there is a very uh, strong history of uh, football, but I think we need to unite Tassie. To me, putting a 19th licence in or getting the AFL team in is just not about the elite pathway. It's about getting the communities and having the structure underneath and having a strong football competition and then even below that so that... Uh, communities and people in the whole state are actually united behind it. So there was a story in The Age, I'm not sure if you read it a couple of days ago, but there were, oh, the town hall was packed with people in Hobart who don't want an AFL stadium and, and want the money spent if the government's going to spend money on roads and hospitals, etc. Yeah. Is there a large, is there, how big is the portion of the population do you think that's against this all happening? Uh, it's a bit hard when you live here, but I, I was talking yeah. to someone yesterday who is a footy person, but even, and that's a Liberal Party in there at the moment, even some Liberal Party supporters who want a Tassie footy team don't think the government should spend uh, on, a, on a new stadium or the amount of money they're putting into a new stadium with not only health, but there's homelessness and every, all the, all the, all the um, um, issues that we face uh, everywhere. Um, I heard the guy tell me, and whether it's just a flippant remark, he reckons it's a seventy percent against by the voters that they don't want the they want the money spent um, in other areas for the you know for the people uh, for the taxpayers rather than the, rather than in the um, on the stadium. So if that's the case, it's a, it's a very tricky situation to be honest. Well, if that's the case, it won't happen, will it? Because the AFL won't be handing a nineteenth license to Tasmania if the stadium doesn't get built. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I don't know what the discussions are. That's what they're saying publicly. But whether that's, I don't know about that. But it seems like the Tasmanian people, uh, with bigger social issues, uh, don't want. Well, it said that they put three hundred seventy-five in. I've heard now. Yesterday they put they actually put in another eighty odd. So it's increasing all the time. So that's upsetting, I think, to the Tasmanian people. So it'll be interesting to see where it goes. Mate, we know that uh, AFL, are, uh, AFL are very good negotiators and uh, uh, the government have got to look after people, so hopefully we can find a happy medium, mate. Would would all of Tasmania get to enjoy a redevelopment of Macquarie Point or is that just a Hobart thing and it won't be something that all of Tasmanians would, would share? And it's a bit like, you know, Victorians, the, the redevelopment of the Yarra allows all Victorians to head in. It's not just about Crown Casino, but it's the... It's the development of a part of your state that yep. can be mm. embraced. Mm. Would Macquarie Point help everyone in Tasmania or not? Um, I don't know. I don't know the real feeling. I would think if there's not enough games played in Launceston, and this is my feeling, and I, I don't know, I'm going to need to back this up, but that it would be seen as a Hobart 
Convention, then the North-South divide would kick in, I would think, if depending on the split of games, I would think. But if they're spending so much money on a, on a stadium, you would think they'd have to have a quite a, most of the games there to recoup the money spent. So uh, that's to a layman. I don't, I don't know uh, everything involved in it, but uh, I think there's... I don't think it's as easy as just building a stadium. Everything's going to be hunky dory. That's that's the feeling I'm getting from, from you know from people in Tassie. And you've got a great body of experience. You were part of the Bears startup when the Bears came into the AFL, and the Bears obviously folded, and you were playing out of portables, and we were all travelling up there to play out of you know little uh, portable homes at Carrara. In those days, there were a lot of mistakes made, and then you were part of the Gold Coast trying to establish themselves when the facilities you know weren't up to the great facilities of other venues. So you get kids up there to yeah. show them your facilities and then those yeah. same kids go to Collingwood and they say, well, wow, what, what, a, what a difference is this? You, yeah. can't have, you can't have Tassie coming in without state-of-the-art facilities either, can you? No, that's right. So that's, that's where the, there's got to be a lot of thought process. And like, I think if I wasn't a Tasmanian, it makes sense to build state-of-the-art stadium in Macquarie Point. And it's, it's a great location and it'd be great for tourism. Uh, you could... Yeah, it'd be an all-purpose stadium for different sports, but it'd also be conferences and different stuff. So uh, events, uh, like it makes a lot of sense, economic, I think, and this is, I'm not, not a, an economist, but um, then you've got the tricky situation of would the northern people come down and you've got to, you've got to make the team for the whole state and unite the whole state. And if that's the stadium anyway, that's fantastic. So uh, as I said, I'm not across at all, Dwayne, but it seems like, there's a bit of a, a bit of a, uh, not a backlash, but there's a bit of a, a negative vibe at the moment um, about it and how it how it will look um, to actually incorporate the whole state. But you're right. It, now they need state of the art facilities. They need a high performance centre, which I think the government have committed some money towards as well. Um, and also, if you're going to have a team wherever that's based, so it's so is Hobart. They, you want to be have retention. So if you do draft plays. As you said, you don't want to have portables or basic facilities. I mean, you want to have state-of-the-art facilities to be able to retain them. So let's say that the 19th licence does get granted. What mistakes did you see at the Bears and in your time at the Gold Coast with the AFL, you know, in the early stages of the Gold Coast, that you would advise the AFL, well, make sure you get this right because this is the thing that held us back in this particular expansion mode I and mean, you don't want that holding Tassie back with the 19th mm-hmm. licence? Well, I think it's probably more the government uh, rather than the AFL. I think the Tasmanian government and then by extension Tasmanian football people need to have a big say how it's structured, not just the AFL saying, well, this is how Because the structure is so different, as we mentioned about the geography, that it needs just not to be the elite team. And if we go in uh, and just appoint and have the elite pathways and under-18s and then into the AFL, the whole structural footy in Tassie will, will completely fail. So it's different, and I think you need some Tasmanian people involved in um, how that looks and the structure and then the appointment of the right people. Um, uh, that's what I that's what I would think that the Tasmanian, whoever they are, and be good people that are, are over there um, and by the government, have a fair say in what happens. And experienced people need to be down there. There's, I mean, it's a long way away. So, you know, a coach with your kind of experience, I presume, you know, wouldn't be available as a coach. Yeah. Uh, there'd be a lot of guys. But there was a very inexperienced group that was up starting up the Bears back in those days, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. And I think, you know, even the Suns are all 
youth and a whole range of different things and even the Giants to a degree. So I think the Giants are having sheets and uh, some experience gummy and different things like that. So, but no, whether it's too far away, but a, but a Chris Fagan would be a perfect coach per se and then have someone who can take over from him but have a good football manager. But you need to have a good CEO. You need to have the, the, the key pillars that are experienced. Um, hopefully the Tasmanian flavour as well, but actually know... Uh, they don't see that as just a stepping stone to go somewhere else. It needs to be able to set the place up cor- correctly, um, but also on the board. And I'd even go as far to say that probably need a Tassie footy commission, like in South Australia and West Australia. I'm, I, I think you being a South Australian understand the South Australian footy commission and the way they run it is is a, is a great model. It's just not letting uh, the AFL run everything. It's you know the Sample League. They've got a fair say, and they and they. And their competition, their own SA competition, is quite a strong competition now. It's survived and done really well. And I think because a lot of South Australians have been involved in that, and that's the way we want to run South Australian footy. Yeah, which is the paradox. I mean, you hit the nail on the head. I, I would have you on the board myself, Rodney, because it needs... You can't just have all mainland people heading back to Tasmania, can you, to, to run this thing? No, I, th- I think they need to... Uh, have a great discussion and debate. Um, what's the best way to go forward? And uh, like I, just without going to detail, I suppose without knowing too much, have a Tasmanian Footy Commission that runs Tasmanian football, but also involved with the uh, AFL side of it. So therefore, you've got a board of the AFL, but they answer this uh, Tasmanian Footy Commission, which will have an AFL person on as well, AFL representative. So obviously, AFL uh, have got a fair say and run it, but. Just so you've got that Tasmanian thought process about how it works and what's best for Tasmanian football, which I got the feeling when when the Adelaide came in and then Port Adelaide, the South Australia or Sandford were saying, "Well, we've got to we can't wreck our own competition. We've got to do what's best for South Australian people and South Australian football." And I, I thought they did it extremely well. Rodney, what are you doing these days? You're still in the game in some way, shape, or form, surely? Um, I'm director of coaching at Scott College. Um, oh, nice. Been there. Been there a few years now. We the first year Jamara was there, and then Sam Darcy. So starting to get a few players come out of there. You know, really enjoyable. Really enjoy that, and do uh, uh, some work for a non-for-profit organisation through the government, so through the federal government. So and a few other little things on the way. So uh, kept me busy, myself busy, mate. Great to have you on, Rocket. Really appreciate your time. Uh, one of the genuine great people of footy. You've contributed so much over time. So great to hear you're still involved. We'll talk soon. Thanks, Brian. I appreciate it, mate. Bye. Rodney E joining us, uh, 377 AFL games as a coach, top 20 games coached of all time, 16th on the list and a four-time premiership player in his own right with the Hawks before heading up to the start-up that was the Brisbane Bears back in the day. Remember the Brisbane Bears? We'll take a break shortly, one 736 Brett Phillips also not far away from joining us. We get a little preview from BP, the voice of the Australian Open on what might happen this afternoon and tonight with Elena Rubikina and Victoria Azarenka up the 22nd and 24th seed facing each other. And Irina Sabalenka and Magda Lynette. Sabalenka, the favourite to win the women's singles crown this year, uh, given that she's the lowest seed and she's fixed her serve. So we'll talk to BP as well. We'll have a chat about Stefanos Sissipas and Karen Kachinov and Novak Djokovic and Tommy Paul as well. They're not far away from uh, hitting the warm-up courts today in the lead-up to their big semi-finals tomorrow and tomorrow night. So you, Dwayne's well, back shortly. Dwayne's World with Dwayne Russell. 
Great to have your company. Early edition of Dwayne's World and Midday Madness. Today, plenty of texts have come through. Um, it wasn't Peter Knights, the coach of the Brisbane Bears, but Paul Cronin as the president. That's from Dean. Yeah, Rodney went up there as a player. So they had a lot of really good players, the Bears. I mean, Mark Williams, they had a lot of really good players, but it just was they were playing out of portable sheds. I went up there and played a few games myself at Carrara, and uh, the change rooms were those huts that the workers work in in work sites. Um, no air conditioning. Uh, you were lucky to have a hook on the wall for your clothes. Back in, the, in fact, there wasn't hooks on the wall for your clothes. It was uh, just get in the change room and uh, and uh, line up for the one shower afterwards. So it was fun times. But that's the that's the thing. Sometimes you have to do with trying to progress. Um, some people have to do the best with what they've got, and the Bears tried to do the best with what they had. It just didn't work for them eventually. And we've got the Brisbane Lions and the Suns now as part of the AFL, when it could have been the Bears if they got it right the first time still in the competition. Uh, Dwayne, do you remember the university team in the VFL? What colours were they? How many games did they win? Well, I don't remember university. They were around a long time before I, but I think they wore black and blue from memory. Um, Dwayne, the same people opposed to a football stadium will be the same people at the front of the queue for a Taylor Swift concert or the Bolshoi Ballet. The sooner we start talking about it as an entertainment precinct, the better. Damien in Tasmania and that's what the government the federal government has been on about this forever I mean they were on about this at the Sydney test when we had the the Prime Minister in talking to Jared Whateley as part of our coverage and he said the money that the government provide won't be spent on an AFL stadium it'll be spent on a precinct that is Macquarie Point and it's just a matter of whether the Hobart people believe and the Tasmanian people believe the complete redevelopment of Macquarie Point which would include the AFL granting a 19th licence and partly funding a stadium, um, is worth it for the state. As Rodney Eads said, it sounds like there's still a lot of water to go under the bridge before Tasmanians are going to agree on this. He said 70% might be against it in Hobart. 70% is a big number to be against something that you think is going to be good for the state. But I don't live there, and that's the other issue. Uh, one here from um, uh, a, a, a South Australian that's text through, and this is... One that rings true for me. I cancelled my SACA membership out of protest over Adelaide Oval's redevelopment around 2011, thinking the money could be spent better elsewhere. Happy to admit I was wrong, and I'm back on the waiting list. The investment and foresight has been massive for South Australia. And I agree. I mean, I grew up in South Australia. I know what that Adelaide Oval redevelopment and that whole Adelaide Oval precinct, including the Torrens and the walk bridge to the city, has been for the city. It's been awesome. And it's a hell of a lot better than Football Park. Football Park was great for its time, but something else needed to be done. And South Australian football and South Australia is a much vibrant city now, thanks to it. Uh, Pipe, uh, I'm sincerely, I sincerely apologise, but there's a fair chance I'll get sick and tired of midday madness if we're still talking about a Tassie licence in 2028. Darrell and Reservoir. You know, guess what, Darrell? If they don't get it done this time, um, we could be still talking about the possibility of a Tassie team in 2028. We'll take a break. Midday matters for Melbourne Roadside Rescue. Melbourne Roadside Rescue. Wrong fuel extraction. Search upshipcreek.com.au. Plenty still to come. The quiz, not far away. Brett Phillips, not far away. And we'll check in with Louise Fleming at the tennis as well for a preview. So you at Dwayne's World. Dwayne's World with Dwayne Russell.
Great to have your company for Dwayne's Hot Time for an Australian Open update. Thanks to Kia, the all-electric Kia EV6 GT supercar, a pinnacle of engineering Kia EV6 GT, the most powerful Kia ever crafted. Louise Fleming played in seven Grand Slams. She's been part of various commentary teams over a course of time, been a coach in her own right, and uh, it's a delight to have her in the bunker at the Australian Open to talk a little bit of tennis again today. Welcome to you, Louise. Great to have you back on the program. Yeah, g'day, Dwayne. How are you? I'm good. I'm excited. I mean, from an international perspective, this has been a pretty good Open, but I suppose from an Australian perspective, it hasn't necessarily been. So how are you weighing up the good and the bad? Look, I think it's been terrific. It's amazing because we've seen so many top players dropping out, the number one and two seeds both in. Women and men not getting through to the quarterfinal has just been phenomenal. So it's just opened up the doors for so many new players. I mean, these are names now that are going to become stock standard in women's tennis. Someone like Elena Robikina, after winning Wimbledon, um, not being able to get the points that she needed from that has come in here lower ranked, but it's great to see that she's gotten through and obviously beating, um, you know, the number one player in the world. It's uh, it's an interesting one, isn't it? So it's um, it's it's kind of to see Victoria Azarenka coming back ten years later. Amazing, Arena Sabalenka has never been to a Grand Slam final. Will she make it this year? Lynette. Magda Lynette, I mean, I think she's never been passed about around round four. Like, it's just created so many amazing stories, this Australian Open. I think it's fantastic. I think it's phenomenal. So we always knew that the Serena era was going to end. No one wanted Ash to retire, but we want to understand why, and we wish her the best, obviously, and what's best for her is what we all wish for. But there is a, there's a moment here where... You know, tennis does have to reset. We might be about to see it in the men's, in a way, with no Federer, Nadal on the way out. Novak's still got quite a few left in him, obviously, but uh, there's a bit of a reset in the men's as well. No, I think so. You're right. There's a lot of young guns coming through. I think the fact that Novak had that little bit of time after the Australian Open last year when he lost, he, he obviously had to regroup. I think his confidence was pretty much smashed with what happened uh, coming to Australia, that gave an opportunity to Alcaraz. Carlos Alcaraz has just come onto the ATP tour flying. I think he's stepping right into Rafa's shoes very quickly. So we're starting to see a transition. Casper uh, Ruud getting to two finals of Grand Slams last year. I think we're starting to see some real shift there. He's a phenomenal player. Unfortunately for um, you know some of the other players that... Alex Zverev, I mean, him getting injured. He was about to step into the shoes and play some great tennis. I mean, I think the transition is really happening very well for the men. I think there's a lot of great names out there. Sid Tsipas is probably the guy that's going to get through to the final um, against Novak, if Novak to continue this great run. Um, Look, I think so, yeah, it always takes a little bit of time. I think it's like a 10-year kind of leap with every genre that you see. I mean... The last time we saw the great males, I mean, what was it, Agassi, uh, Sampras and Courier and, um, you know, and then before that it's like Borg and McEnroe and then before that. like So it's like a 10-year gap and I, I think we're ready, you know, in the next five years to bring on the new guns and really make a name for these new players. Can Alex Dimonor add weaponry to his arsenal that's going to help him get past a, a quarter and a semi? 
Well, I think it's tough, isn't it? Because look at the guys that are coming through. They're all monsters. I mean, Sitsipas mm. is like six foot four and um, Novak is tall. Carlos, uh, Alcaraz, the big unit. So, I don't know. Does he? How does he beef himself up? Because he just doesn't have the firepower. He was hitting about uh, 12 to 15 k's less on the forehand and backhand towards Novak. I mean, yes, he can run. He's a, he's a unit. We know that he's a rabbit. But is that enough to be able to sustain... Um, and to hurt the big players. So I don't think it is. He's got a good serve, but it's it's what happens after that. He just gets a little overpowered. And, I mean, you, you can go to the gym, you can do what you want, but I think it's really hard to just add enough to hurt these big guys, these big units. You've been in coaching for a long time as well, Louise. You can tend to, I think, at least get away with doing less prep when you're younger, but when you're older... It, it can get you injury-wise. Where do you see Nick Kyrgios at in this stage of his career right now? Yeah, look, I think the operation on his knee is, is not a big operation. Um, it was a very small thing, but obviously the swelling just keeps coming up. Um, you know, Nick's got to look after his body. He travels with a physiotherapist. I think that is his main focus, isn't it? We know he doesn't want to have the coaching influence. Um, whether he has really good influence in other areas of his life and having good support, you know, I think there's some good people there. Whether they can get across and encourage him to have that long-term vision, um, we, we just don't know. I mean, he's, yeah, he's an outlier. He's, he's unique. We love what he brings to the sport. Um, I just don't know what his long-term vision is. And his body... Um, yeah, he's he's got to look after that. That's got to be a priority. And obviously with this injury, he was gutted. He was flawed, absolutely flawed, that he could not play the Australian Open. Absolutely. So Novak, we presume, is going to be a selection in the men's. Uh, who are you picking in the women's? Is it Sabalenka? Or who do you think will win both? Yeah, look, um, uh, look I'm kind of leaning towards Sabalenka. You just don't know on the day, though, if, if Rubikina can beat Azarenka, and I'm, I'm thinking that Rubikina, with the amount of aces that she hits, she's got so much firepower. I don't think that Azarenka will be able to move her around and get involved with the long rallies that she did and be able to dominate like she did against Pagula. So I'm thinking it's Rubikina. And then, obviously, on the other side, Sabalenka is going to beat Lynette, and I think it's going to be Sabalenka for the first time. She's never been to a final. She hasn't had that take that big step and Rybakina has. So on the night, it's going to be about the serving of Rybakina, but I think Sabalenka's got the firepower to, to combat that, and I'm I'm thinking it's Sabalina for the first time, Sabalenka, I should say. And she has fixed her serve, so that's been something that you, we obviously can change the way you play the game, and that's uh, a big emphasis for a lot of kids these days to know that if you've got a flaw, work on it. Absolutely. I think Azarenka even said, you know, she's really, um, over the last couple of years, she's tried to work on bringing new things into her game. She said, I was really anxious and nervous about, you know, changing things. We get really good at something. You think, if I change, I might lose what I have. So it's being brave enough to take those steps and improve. And I think that's the number one thing that we want to be able to educate our players, not to change but to improve. And I think the minute you say to a young player, oh, you've got to change your forehand or you've got to change your serve, that creates a whole lot of anxiety. So it's all about improvement and the top players, that's what they want to do. They want to get better every single time they walk on the court. And how are our junior stocks at the moment, 
Louise in Australia, men and women? Look, I think we've got some really good young kids coming through. Um, one that I'm absolutely uh, loving to see is Emerson Jones. Uh, she's 14 years of age. I just took her away with me with the um, Billie Jean King Juniors and the Billie Jean King Cup, which was in Turkey just recently. She was playing players that are, you know, 16 years of age, that are six foot two, and, and Emerson's 14 and, and quite small in size, but she's got a heart of gold. She, she works really hard. She's a great mover. She's got a lot of firepower. So I think she's definitely one to watch. Um, moving up a couple of years, Talia Gibson, uh, this young lady, I think she's ranked about 250 in the world, tracking incredibly well. Um, she had an opportunity to play here at the Australian Open as well, had a tough match, but she's, she's a player that's, um, she's from WA and she's just got that resilience and that toughness about her. So, um, yeah, look, a lot of, a lot of good prospects. Um, and, you know, I think we've just got to take that longer look. I think our juniors just seem to just develop and mature a little bit longer than perhaps the other kids. We're seeing a lot of really good players come out of the Czech Republic. But if you think of their location and the fact that they've got about eight countries around them that they can just go over the border and get mm. that competition, we don't. We've got to travel 18,000 kilometres uh, and these kids probably do it once or twice a year. So we just don't get that exposure. And I think we've got to just lay back on putting the pressure on our kids too quickly. Which is a difficult one, isn't it? Because you don't want to take kids out of school, but living overseas is a bit of a help if you want to have that competitive opportunity every week. Yeah, we've got a young player that was also in our team, Alana Sebasic. She went and lived in uh, Croatia, uh, spent a year over there working with great coaches and, and we see a lot of our youngsters going and, and living and working out in Spain. Um, so I think Tennis Australia is really looking to have a base over there where we can facilitate these young kids, hopefully continue their education. They do distance education, um, but, but they're getting that access of, you know, really stronger competition throughout. So, you know, it's, um, if you have that hub and you have a, a cluster of really good kids, then perhaps you don't need to do that so much. Um, but to get that exposure at the next level, I think that's great. I mean, look at young Ben Shelton. I mean, he had to get a passport before he came out to Australia. But the US uh, college system is phenomenal because you're getting that really good, uh, you know, competition. And that is certainly something that a lot of our young Australians are starting to do now. So you might leave at the age of 17, go into two years, um, get some really good education, get some good quality tennis, get a good coach. You have to go to a, a college where they've got a fantastic coach. We've seen Ellen Perez, Astro Sharma, uh, JP Smith, uh, John Pierce. We've seen so many players come out of that system and then go on and have a great career at tennis. So it's certainly something because we know tennis as an individual sport, there is a high cost and a lot of families, you know, to financially fund their their child to go and play, it starts to, to really be um, a financial challenge if you're not getting a lot of assistance from Tennis Australia. And certainly there is that assistance for the very top few. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good point because the college system allows kids to be kids and get an education. So you're, you're socialising with people who aren't professional sports people all the time. So you're getting your chance to, to actually grow up, but you're also getting great coaching and you're in a good system. So... Yeah, it's uh, going to be an interesting decision time for Australians that are in that 16, 17-year-old age bracket. 
um, coming up, Louise. It's great to have you on the program. I really appreciate your time and uh, and good calling. Thanks, mate. See you, Dwayne. Have a great day. Enjoy the tennis. Louise Fleming joining us. A couple of your calls if you'd like to jump on the line. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. The open line. A bit more midday matters for Melbourne Roadside Rescue. Wrong fuel extraction. Search up shipcreek.com.au. Keep your text coming through as well. 0433981116 if you'd like to join me. 0433981116. And that open line number, by the way, brought to us by Werribee Kia, awarded National Kia Car Dealer of the Year. Werribee Kia makes buying cars easy. And in the next hour, we'll also get a tennis update with Brett Phillips joining us for the Kia all-electric EV6 GT supercar, a pinnacle of engineering Kia EV6 GT, the most powerful Kia ever crafted. We've been talking about Novak Djokovic, talking about his drive and whether he'll win this thing this year. Here's what Novak had to say about the something extra that's driving in this year. Well, I, I don't think that uh, I lack determination. I, I always, um, you know, try to give my best uh, particularly in Grand Slams, because at this stage of my career, you know, those those are the, the tournaments that, that count the most, of course. Um, but you could say that there is something extra this year, yeah. You you could say because of the, yeah, as you, as you mentioned, the injury and, uh, you know, what happened last year. And then I just, you know, wanted to really uh, do well. And, and so far, I've have, I have a perfect score in Australian hard courts, you know, in Adelaide and, and here. And I've been playing better and better, so I couldn't ask for a better situation to be in at the moment. Novak Djokovic. He plays Tommy Paul, so that's tomorrow night, we presume. Brett Phillips will give us the latest in the next hour, but he plays Tommy Paul. Here's Novak on Tommy Paul, the unseated American. Well, I, I, I know how he plays. I've never faced him on the court, but uh, he's been around for a few years. So I watched him play quite a bit, especially during uh, this tournament. And he's been playing probably tennis of his life and uh, very explosive, very dynamic player, uh, quick, uh, very solid backhand, likes to step in, dictate the, the, the point with the forehand. Great, great service motion. I think he can hit all the spots uh, with the serve. So very complete player. I think he's got a coach that has been around with some top players for many years. So, you know, it's uh, first semifinals for him. So, of course, you know, he doesn't have much to lose. I'm sure that he's going to go out trying to, to play his best tennis. Doesn't leave much to chance, Novak, does he? He has done his forward scouting on Tommy Paul. Tommy Paul also... Talked about playing Novak's pretty excited about it. Yeah, man, I'm I'm really excited. It wasn't like the the prettiest match ever today, but it was uh, how I needed to play the match. It was how the match I felt like was always going to be. He's a great server, and um, you know I had to just put in as many returns as I could. But uh, I'm I'm really excited, man. It's uh, it's really cool, and and. I think it's even cooler if I do play. I, I think I saw Novak's up like 5-1 in the first or something. I mean, that's that's probably who I who I want to play. I mean, probably uh, have a better chance of winning if it's Rublev, but uh, to play Novak here in Australia would be awesome. Um, I saw him in the locker room after I finished my match. He said, congrats. Um, but, yeah, we never played a match against each other. Obviously, he's pretty comfortable here in, in Australia, so... It's going to be a challenging match, but I'm, I'm playing some of my best tennis, so it's a, it's a good time. Tommy Paul, pretty excited to be playing Novak. Jack in Port Melbourne's given us a call on the tennis. Welcome to you, Jack. How are you, Dwayne? 
Gil was pretty bad in the AFL, but this Craig Tiley, he's another level, mate. I uh, I got uh, tickets the other night to see Andy Murray, 300 bucks a go, and uh, it was a night session. They wouldn't let me in during the day because my ticket was a night session. All I wanted to do was have a bloody $14 Canadian club and an overpriced burger. And then I, uh, as I finally got in at 5 o'clock, they poured my Peroni half out of a stubby and then half out of the tap. Like, Jesus Christ, they're, they're, uh, they're getting us at every turn now, Dwayne, for these sporting events. Ticketing and costing starting to get enormous, mate. I'm just a battler. Have you been to Moulin Rouge or anything else? I've paid, you know, $1,000 for a concert ticket before, Jack. Uh, all entertainment's fairly expensive, and when it's supply and demand, um, they can kind of charge a little bit more because the the fans have been coming to the Australian Open. It's been pretty well patronised. Yeah, yeah, I'll give you, I'll give you that. What was Moulin Rouge like? Pretty good show? Uh, that Moulin Rouge was really good, yeah. And, uh, look, it's... Um, I'm lucky enough to be able to go to shows like that and pay the money, but all of the big concerts that come to town, I'm not sure what Elton John tickets were, but, you know, they're worth hundreds of bucks. I suppose if if you're a tennis fan and you want to see Novak, it's the equivalent of seeing Elton John. He's the greatest of all time. Yeah, I'll give you I'll give you that, Ryan. Thank, thanks for the call, mate. Always love the show. Hold the, hold the line, though, Jack. I've got something for you just to ease the pain a little. You've got a bottle of Starwood, two-fold. Sounds like you like a, a beer or... I'm not too sure if you like whiskey, but this might ease the pain of your Peroni being poured half from the bottle and half from the tap. You've got a bottle of Starwood Twofold Double Grain Australian Whiskey coming your way thanks to Hairy Dog's Summer of Aussie Spirits, hairydog.com.au. Still got a few things to give away, including some Brick Lane Brewing Vouchers if you want to join me. one three hundred. 736 736 Brick Lane One Love Pale Ale, perfect for all occasions, and the ultimate crowd pleaser. We're not far away as well from the Maccas quiz. Together with Maccas, we're giving you and the mate the chance to win a trip to Delhi for the second test, India v Australia in Feb. It's all thanks to Maccas. All you have to do is be crowned the last fan standing. And each weekday in summer breakfast and on Dwayne's World, we'll give 11 cricket questions. Answer correctly, you keep going. Incorrect, you're out. We'll take the next call of the last fan standing after the 11th question. We'll have the chance to win on summer breakfast, Monday 30th of Jan. You'll get 11 questions that breakfast and get the 11th question correct and you will be crowned the last fan standing and win yourself. Flights for you and a mate to Delhi. Five nights, premium five-star accommodation. Attend a sports lunch with the SEN commentary team, corporate hospitality at the cricket and $1,000 spending money as well. All thanks to the good people at Macca's. Time for news. Dwayne's World with Dwayne Russell. Last fan standing, thanks to Mackers. Great to have your company on Dwayne's World. Yes, if you're tuning in to Dwayne's World for Midday Madness, it might sound a bit weird that we're going to the quiz, but it's an early edition of Dwayne's World and Midday Madness today. We had a bit of Midday Madness at 10 o'clock today. Took an hour and a half of calls at 10 o'clock today for the early edition. And I'm back for Midday Madness at the normal time at midday tomorrow, which means that you've joined us for Dwayne's World at 12 today around Australia. And we've got the quiz coming up. Still got a bit coming up on the program outside of the quiz. Brett Phillips also to join us from the tennis. We'll find out the scheduling of that Djokovic, Tommy Paul and Sissi Pass, Karen Kachanov 
match semi-final uh, line-up tomorrow afternoon and tomorrow night with Brett a little bit later on. We'll also have a chat to Alan Obbs, who is the physio, former AFL player, and is the physio who has joined Victoria Azarenka this year. And Victoria Azarenka has a chance to, you know, wind back the clock. Superstar here, Grand Slam winner here at the Australian Open and might win it again this year. She's playing a little bit later on today. And we'll talk some monster trucks later on as well. The Krusty Demons and the Monster Trucks hit Calder Park 18th of March, so we'll tell you a few more details about that. A few texts have come through as well on the 40 Winks Temper text. Happy 75th birthday to Barry Breen, who scored a point to win the Saints-only flag in 66-16. Thanks for that reminder. A nice one. And another one here in relation to the Tassie Stadium and the Adelaide Stadium. Dwayne, we had the same conversations in a very long lead-up to Perth Stadium being built, i.e. should Subi be redeveloped? Social issues in the end. WA government foot the bill. Now we have a world-class stadium that hosts sport and entertainment events. Stewie from Perth. And, yeah, that's what Tassie has on offer. They can have a whole heap of entertainment events at a beautiful entertainment precinct in Macquarie Point. They also just happen to have an AFL team playing out of that stadium as well. So we'll see how that transpires. Oh, and by the way, a caller earlier on on te- tennis price tickets, and I said well, it's the same. If you want to see the best tennis player in the world, you want to see Novak, and you're prepared to pay 250 300 bucks to get a seat to see Novak, or you want to pay to see the best piano player-singer in the world in Elton John. Elton John tickets about 250 as the lowest end for his recent tour, and up to the $1,800 end. But I think you got to meet or at least be in a room post-concert with Elton John for your 1,800. Um, there's no 1,800 be in the room with Novak tickets available, but um, it would be interesting to see what he could charge if he did that. So that's the price of seeing the best in the world. Okay, quiz time. one uh, Fred and our Tony, your first up. Glenn in Melton. Lou in Bandura. I'm sure you know the rules, but I better read them to you again. Together with Maccas, we're giving... You want to make the chance to win a trip to Delhi for the second test. Uh, India v Australia in Feb. Uh, each weekday in summer breakfast on Dwayne's World. 11 cricket questions. Answer correctly, you keep going. Incorrect, you're out. We'll take the next caller. Last fan standing after the 11th question will have the chance to win on summer breakfast, January 30. And that is the chance to win flights for you and a mate to Delhi. Five nights premium five-star accommodation along with uh, corporate hospitality at the cricket and $1,000 in spending money all thanks to Maccas. Fred in our toner. Welcome to you, Fred. You're first up. So uh, you got a long road, but great to have you on. G'day, Dwayne. How are you, mate? I'm good. I'm good. You ready for question one? Yes, I am. All right. Where in India is the second test between India and Australia? Oh, second test? Um, uh, Delhi? Congratulations, uh, given that I just said it. Flights for you and a mate to Delhi. I'm glad you got that one right. Question one out of the way. Okay, which famous SEN breakfast host turned 60 today? Uh, Simon O'Donnell. Yeah, and happy birthday to your sod. Turned 60 today, and uh, it's going to be great to have him on summer breakfast. All right, uh, Usman Khawaja, question three. Plays for which BBL team? Oh, jeez. Uh... Uh, he plays for for uh, Brisbane, for Queensland in the Sheffield Shield. But does he play for the Thunder? Thanks for your call, Fred. Appreciate you jumping on, Glenn in Melton. Welcome to you, Glenn. How are you, Pops? Oh, damn good, Glenn. Uh, you're going to be damn good as well because I got a sense you might know know this answer. Question three: 
Usman Kawaja plays for which BBL team? Brisbane Heat. Congratulations. Question four. Steve Smith plays for which BBL team? He plays for the uh, Sydney Sixers. Well done to you. Who finished top of the BBL ladder in this regular season now that it's done? Perth Scorchers. Question five out of the way. You're going okay. Who won last night's BBL game between the Stars and the Thunder? The Thunder. Well done to you. Um, yeah, it was a, it's a couple of interesting games last night, but the Thunder ending up getting the 120 required, 7 for 120 in response to the 7 for 119, but uh, they nearly blew it. Okay, question seven. You ready for this? Tough one, this one. Kerry who began World Series cricket? Well done. Uh, nice work, Glenn. You're flying at the moment. Question eight. Who captained the World Series Cricket World Eleven? World Eleven. Um, uh, Law, uh, Clive Lloyd? Thanks for your call, Glenn. Lou and Bandura, you there, Lou? Welcome to you. There you go, yeah, good. Who captained uh, World Series Cricket's World Eleven? Dwayne, what year? Uh, well, um, 70, when was it? Uh, I'm trying to think of what, when the actual time was, but um, just World Series Cricket, World Eleven, captain the, the Super Test teams. Brian Lara. Thanks for your call. Conrad and Glenn Waverley, are you there, Conrad? Good day, Dwayne. Dwayne. Uh, who uh, captain? World Series cricket. Um, Tony Gregg. Congratulations to you. Question nine. Which World Eleven player scored 207 in the Super Test at Gloucester Park? You got a country for me at all, please? Uh, well, it was the World Eleven. Um, oh, so right. I'll, no, I'll leave it at that. Got a few callers on the line. One three hundred seven three six seven three six. Clive Bryce. Which World Eleven player? Two hundred seven. Go on. Who was it? Thank you for your call. I think you got that wrong. Um, Pete in Berwick. You there, Pete? Are you there, Pete? Yes, yes, yeah, me, mate. Uh, which World Eleven player scored two hundred seven in the Super Test at Gloucester Park? Question number nine. Oh, wasn't even born, mate. Um, uh, Viv Richards. Hmm, interesting answer. Uh, Jason and Karen Downs, you there, Jason? Yes, Dwayne, how are you? Yeah, good, thanks. Is it Barry Richards? Well done to you. All right, you're not far away here. Question 10. Who took five for 39 for the World Eleven in the Super Test at Waverley Park, December 78? Who took five for 39? Dennis Lilly. Thanks for your call. Who are we up to? Um, Jason, sorry. Are we up to Jason and Karen Downs or Frank in Wont- Frank in Wonturna. Welcome to you, Frank. Question 10. Who took five for 39 for the World Eleven in the Super Test at Waverley Park, December 78? Yeah, there you go, mate. Yeah, good. Thank you. If you can answer for me. 
Yeah, yeah, I'm here, mate. You, you there? Yeah, yeah I'm here. I'm here. You, you, yeah. you Googling? Yeah, I, was probably there. I was probably at that game. Um, I'm just trying to think. Who, who it was. I remember Bish and Beatty, but I can't remember whether um, with him or um, one of the other bowlers. Uh, I'm just trying to picture in my head who was bowling that day. Oh, jeez. <laughs> no, you're timed out. Thanks for your call. Um, Mike in one turn. Are you there, Mike? one three hundred seven three six seven three six. You can come in late and swoop this. Question 10 of 11. Who took five for 39 in the World 11 Super Test for the World 11 in the Super Test at Waverley Park in December 78? 78. I've got no idea. <laughs> Thanks for your call, Mike. Um, Gabe in Mount Eliza, you there, Gabe? Yeah, good day, Dwayne. How are you, mate? Yeah, good. Who took five for thirty-nine? World Eleven Super Test at Waverley Park, December seventy-eight. Garth LaRue. Well done to you. Okay, question eleven. You'll be the last fan standing if you get this right. Um, do you remember the Super Test at all, Gabe, or not? Or the Super Tests? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was about 10 years old, Dwayne, but uh, it's vaguely. <laughs> All right, we're going back here. So we're going back to 77 here with question 11, uh, and it's the centenary test. Who opened the batting for England in the centenary test at the MCG in 77? Who opened the batting for England? Centenary test, 1977. Uh, who opened the batting? Um... Oh, it was it the Englishman who came out of retirement? Uh, Mike Greeley. I'm giving it to you. Either Bob Warmer or Mike Greeley would have done. I would have taken both. I would have taken one. Well done, Mike Greeley. Good call by you. And uh, congratulations on being the last fan standing. Got a few critics of my questions on the text earlier on saying that way too easy. Um, but it got a little harder at the end. Um, and I appreciate you sticking through it, Gabe, even though you got there late and won the chocolate. So you've got a chance. Monday, 30th of January, so it's not far away. Everyone that has won across the last couple of weeks have a chance to be crowned the last fan standing with summer breakfast. So there'll be another 11 questions. And if you get the 11th question correct, you'll be crowned last fan standing and win yourself. It is a great prize, thanks to Maccas. Flights for you and a mate to Delhi. Uh, five nights premium, five-star accommodation. You'll attend a sports lunch with the SEN commentary team. Uh, Adam Collins, who is such a wealth of knowledge and a delight to be with. Uh, you'll love it. Jared Waitley, who's a delight to be with as well. Um, he's going to tell you some stories, and it'll be a fun, I can guarantee you, it'll be a fun sports lunch with the SEN commentary team. That will be corporate hospitality at the cricket as well to go with it. So you'll be watching the cricket in comfort. $1,000 spending money as well, so we'll kick in a 1000 What not me, but Mac as well. And it's all thanks to Mac as they're going to kick in $1,000 as well. So, yeah, you and the chance, a mate, to win a trip to Delhi for the second test. Australia v India in Feb, uh, if you're the last fan standing. Midday Madness is a bit strange today. I know if you're tuning in for the Midday Madness, you thought you were tuning in for some calls today as per normal for Midday Madness, and we're not taking calls. It's because Midday Madness started a little earlier Today, so we did Midday Matters from 10 o'clock today, but I'm back for Midday Matters tomorrow from midday, normal scheduled time, same bat channel, same bat time tomorrow, Midday Matters for Melbourne's Melbourne Roadside Rescue, wrong fuel extraction, search upshipcreek.com.au, that's upshipcreek.com. 
Sportsgrid.com.au. And by the way, thanks to all of the callers earlier on that uh, did call through for Midday Madness on that open line brought to us by Werribee Kia. Werribee Kia, if you want to drop down and see the team, David, Janan, Aid, Jim, the whole team down there at Werribee Kia, they'd love to see you. Got a heap of new and used car stock down at Werribee Kia. So if you want to check out their new and used car stock, they'd love to see you. Tell them we sent you and they will always look after you. Quite a few people who have listened to the show, have gone down to Werribee Kia, uh, let themselves be known that they listen to the show and you will get looked after one way or the other. But if you mention the show, they'll probably chip in something, I'm sure, the boys and the girls down there. And our updates from the Australian Open, which we've got another one coming with Brett Phillips not far away, uh, for Kia, the all-electric Kia EV6 GT supercar, a pinnacle of engineering, the most powerful Kia ever crafted, the Kia EV6 GT. Back after the break, we're plenty to come. You're with Dwayne's Dwayne's World with Dwayne Russell. Welcome back to the program. Always great to have so many calls and texts coming through. I really appreciate those who've picked up the phone and dialed the number today. Always great to have Brett Phillips pick up his phone and answer our call because it's getting down to the pointy end now. Women's semi-finals night tonight, men's semi-finals night tomorrow night at the Australian Open. And the man whose voice has held up, which is good news for all, is on the line. Welcome to you, Brett. Great to have you back on. No, thank you, Dwayne. Uh, yeah, getting towards the uh, the business end. We're sorting out um, the pretenders and the contenders. And uh, it's a fascinating yeah, run home. I mean, you'd have to say, you know, certainly on the men's side, it appears to be uh, one conversation on the women's. Much different. You know, there's some different scenarios to play out to determine who will lift um, the uh, Daphne Akers trophy on Saturday night. Yeah, so it's been a really surprising women's open and we might get uh, a result that, look, if it's Azarenka, it's going to be a story of its own. If it's one of the young guns coming through, is this the start of something big? Um, Sabalenka's been there for a while and I know you've talked about it for a couple of weeks now, but uh, even the change in the improvement in, in some of the players that have been able to play a different brand of tennis this year has been something yep. that's been talked about a bit. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, I think if, if I was sitting here right now, I mean, I think a, a sort of an Ansarenka sabalenka final would be really juicy. I mean, they're both from the same country. You know, it was uh, Azarenka who put her country on the map as a young girl, winning a couple of majors, getting to world number one, really a, uh, a pioneer in, in a lot of ways. And then as Vika was ageing and, you know, not right at the pointy end, she'd slipped back a bit. In came the steam train that was uh, Arena Sabalenka, who was sort of the uh, the replica of uh, Azarenka in a way. Feisty, outwardly emotional, loud on court. And uh, it'd be great if those two could you know, possibly match up. They haven't really played a lot of... Uh, Fed Cup or Billie Jean King Cup uh, tennis for their country together. I, I don't know the exact rapport between them, but I reckon that'd be a sensational final if it did get to that case. Now, I think Sabalenka, I, you know, the way she's played in this tournament has been just simply superb. And it started in Adelaide, so she's on a great winning streak. Uh, the serve has been sorted off the ground, really damaging. Uh, she can be volatile, but uh, she's you know, keeping her emotions in check a lot better. And and Azarenka, this will be the interesting thing tonight because against Pagula in the quarterfinal, um, and Pagula hasn't got you know necessarily the biggest serve in women's tennis. It's got it to world number three, but she was able to return really well. But against Rybakina tonight, she's got a lethal serve. So whether Vika's going to have a good look and get into the return games, we'll have to wait and see. But gee, I, I back her experience as well, just being on that you know big stage many, many times. She loves Melbourne Park. 
now she's won you know, the most matches there of any of the players left. I think it's up to 46 now, and she's going to take some beating. So that would be the fairy tale of someone in their 30s who we probably had written off uh, winning another major, getting through. But I think uh, for me, Sabalenka would be a great story as well because she's been yeah, knocking on the door for a little while. So the draw not out for the men's semis tomorrow night and tomorrow afternoon. Stefano Sissipas and Karen Kachanov and Novak Djokovic facing Tommy Paul. I presume the, the Sissipas-Kachanov match has the, the possibility of being tighter, but I presume they're going to put Novak on the night match. Yeah, because Novak played last night, it's all about, you know, recovery time to the next. Okay. So, yeah, whoever plays sort of the, the, the uh, Tuesday night um, quarterfinal will play uh, Friday. So they effectively get an extra day. Uh, they'll play Friday during the day. So that, that's where they've changed the schedule, the AO now, rather than having one men's semi, which used to be Thursday, Friday night, mm. two women's into Thursday night, is that same as the US Open in that prime time. And then... Yeah, the men's first semi will be uh, 2.30 on Friday. So it'll be Sitsipas Hutchinov. And then, yeah, obviously Djokovic under the lights on uh, on Friday night. So which does have the ability to provide a... Well, I won't ask you that question because Novak won't lose. But uh, does, has Kachinov got a chance of upsetting Sitsipas? And do most people, do you think, around you want a Sitsipas Djokovic final? Oh, no doubt. You know, I think we all think that you know, Steph is uh, the best equipped to have a crack at Novak, at least, on uh, on Sunday. It does get to that date. Look, he's got a 5-0 head-to-head with Hachinov, and he's played some you know, terrific tennis. He sort of um, brought himself back into the conversation of majors, you know, back-to-back semifinals after making the last four in New York uh, last year. And he's sort of been forgotten about a little bit, but he's, he's brought his power game. He seems really content out on court. He's yeah, he's difficult to deal with when you're when you're serving the way he is. But uh, Pass is such a the di- dynamic all court player that I just think there's there's just too much there for Hutchinov to to deal with. But who knows? Uh, Hutchinov's been waiting for this breakthrough to get through to a, a final. Steph's made one at the French uh, three years ago when he led Novak, of course, two sets to love and had his best chance. But I've loved Pass's brand of tennis in this tournament. Uh, he, uh, he looks on a mission uh, to me and I'd love to know the exact influence of Mark Philippoussis uh, because he's been a big part of the Pass camp in the last few months alongside his father who you know, <laughs> struggles to sit still, Apostolos, he's up and uh, and you can coach of course when the player's at that end and they've got a, you know, it's a, probably a typical father-son relationship, there's the highs and lows in professional sport uh, but Philippoussis brings that calmness and you know he brings that you know, big big time uh, performer who's been to a couple of Grand Slam finals just to, you know, just to add a bit of icing there in terms of the prep and um, and how to handle these big occasions. So yeah, I think Pass would give Djokovic a contest, but the way Novak's playing like right now, I mean, it's just sort of you know daylight really. How would the crowd support split be if it was Pass Djokovic? Do you think in the final? Yeah, I think it'd be half-half. I mean, the Serbians are there in big numbers. I walked out of Rod Laver last night and they were all on the steps of Margaret Court and. Uh, chanting away and singing and they'll make some noise and, and the Greek support for Pass has been um, phenomenal uh, which has always been the case across uh, the years when a, a Greek player has a good run here uh, and obviously he and Sakari are top 10 players um, it'll be in the top 10 for some time so it, it would be an electric atmosphere there's no doubt, good luck to the chair umpire uh, whoever's doing Sunday night if that's the case And uh, you mentioned with the different countries that don't they all live in Florida these days? Does Sabalenka 
Well, she lives in Florida. As Arenka lives in Florida, Miami and Boca Raton. Most, do they all, is that the congregation point for a lot of the world's best these days? Yeah, it's always been a, a strong um, tennis contingent there. Miami, uh, other parts of Florida, uh, a lot of players go there as their base or their, they do training blocks because, and I know Andy Murray famously used to go there prior to the Australian Open because uh, you raise a good sweat in that part of the world and it gets you prepared for the uh, the Aussie summer. So that's sort of one area. Then, you know, obviously, a, a lot of the players in Europe, um, you know, have a, a residence in, in Monte Carlo. They have to pay any tax, Edwin, and a beautiful haven there. And they can uh, they can train and obviously have the downtime when the tour uh, does allow. And I, I think certainly the Bahamas is certainly still a popular place oh. as well where I don't think you have to pay much tax over there. So uh, Leighton Hewitt, I think, still got a house in the, the Bahamas. I think Nick Kyrgios might have a little pad over there as well. Oh, it's a beautiful world they live in. Hey, BP... Well done to you. You've done a great job. I appreciate you jumping on the phone and uh, have a good night tonight. Yeah, pleasure. Thanks, Wayne. Brett Phillips, the voice of tennis on SEN and at the Australian Open. You'll be hearing him big time if you're at the Australian Open this afternoon, uh, talking to you through Garden Square. Yeah, women's semifinals night tonight, men's semifinals day night tomorrow night. Take a break. Back with more on Dwayne's World. Welcome back to the program. Always great to have so many of your calls and your texts coming through. Always good to have a text every now and then saying... Why do we only talk about AFL? Why do we only talk about the tennis and the cricket and the AFL? Well, there's a couple of monster trucks coming to town. Calder Park, 18th of March is when it's on. And a couple of well, ex-crusty demons like Bubba, uh, Bubba Crusty, is going to join me for a chat very shortly to talk about what you're going to see if you do go to Calder Park on the 18th of March. Uh, stunts, um, bikes, motocross, freestyle. Uh, I think there's a demolition derby. Happening. There's a jet car, all that kind of stuff. And uh, Bubba's on the line from the US. Welcome to you, Bubba. Great to have you on. Hey, how are you guys doing? Well, I'm doing all right. I understand I've got you in the middle of a sandwich, have I? Yeah, you do, man. I just, I'm just i eating a sandwich right now as we speak. I, I just got off a podcast, but I'm all ready to go for you. <laughs> okay, what's your, what's your lunch in town? What's a sandwich for, for you as a, as a normal day? What's in it? Well, I tell you what, when I'm in Australia... I have at least two to three kebabs a day. I like the kebabs there, and 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 also steak sandwiches. But my day usually starts off with at least two to three bacon and egg rolls with barbecue sauce. <laughs> so I presume you're just doing a bit of commentary these days, and not actually driving or getting on one of these freestyle motocross bikes. No, don't kid. I'm my athlete still, but I'm getting up there and. Uh, We've been making and doing Krusty Demons for over 25 years, so it starts to creak a little bit. But we, uh, me and Seth Enslow are going to come down there and be guests um, and host the freestyle motocross as well as the monster trucks and be a part of the meet and greet and all the advertising and uh, crowds. And uh, it, our, our, our sport mixes great with the monster trucks and freestyle motocross, and uh, we're, we're all one family. So this is, I mean, the kids and the families love the monster trucks. So why do kids love the monster trucks so much? You know what? I'm not sure, man, because I think they're loud and they break stuff. <laughs> they smash stuff. <laughs> and so I, I think that's the best thing. But um, it's cool to see the families. It's, it's a family show, so it, it's cool to meet the parents and, and the kids. They just come along. And when, when those trucks start, uh, start up, they're so loud and powerful that every, anybody's got to love them. you got to love them. And you love coming to Australia, I understand. You've had many a trip out here for many a show. 
Yeah, actually, I've been going out there for over 20 years now with the Krusty Demons and a few other things. And I actually married an Australian from Adelaide. Um, that's We're not together anymore, but still, I'm married an Australian. I've uh, been down there so many times. Uh, well, I made a girl, I've married a girl from Adelaide as well, so we've got that in common. Bubba, are you, uh, are you driving any of these trucks? You have driven a few in the, in the past? Yeah, well, we're, we're working on that. We're going to have a couple different vehicles and crash vehicles. We're going to be a part of the smash-up derby, and uh, me and Seth are going to be driving different vehicles as well as, um, you know, just, just doing commentating and, 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 and kissing babies and shaking hands. You know what I mean? And that, that's a big part of it. And it is a bit of a carnival atmosphere. You've got all that kind of sideshow as well. You've got, uh, you know, food trucks, the whole carnival atmosphere going on around the periphery of it as well. Yep, it's, it's going to be fun, man. Um, it's, it's, it's a good day. It's all day. It's during the day. And so it's, um, you, you know, and people don't have to be out late at night, whatever. So, you know, hey, I don't know how many kebabs I can eat one day, but I'm going to give it a shot. Well, I they've got a few extra food trucks. Before you let me go, tell me about some of the stunts and the with the jet car itself. I want to hear about the jet car. Well, the jet car is pretty cool, man, because it actually, man, I, you know what? You, can you imagine putting a jet uh, engine into a truck or, or on a motorcycle? There's a couple different ones they got there, and uh, they also melt stuff with the jet engine. It's pretty cool, man. Um, you know, the jet, uh, there's other things. I like the monster trucks myself, and I guess what I heard, there's a rumor that these monster trucks are going to be doing backflips for you. There's going to be one out there, and that's the rumor I hear, so uh, you got to come check it out, man, because doing a backflip in a monster truck, you need to be strapped in good, and uh, I can't wait to see it. And one last one, Bubba, before I let you go. How did this all, how did the monster truck idea start? Somebody had a crazy idea, I think, in 1980, what a bloke puts giant wheels on an F-250 and thinks this might catch on, and here we are. Well, I tell you what, it's a redneck thing. Me growing up and all kinds of people, you got four-wheel drives, and it's all about locking hubs, locking those front hubs so all four wheels will turn. You know what I mean? And uh, the bigger, the better. I can't keep up. Bubba, great to have you on. Calder Park, 18th of March. Uh, if you want to head down with the family, it's all day. Uh, stunts, freestyle motocross, uh, jet car, demolition derby, food trucks, um, and uh, big boys with their and big Bubba toys. And Seth Henslow <laughs> will be here too, who I think we're going to speak to yep. as well. Uh, Bubba, great to have you on. Always great to have a chat to you. I'll let you get back to your sandwich. <laughs> Take care. Bye-bye now. See you soon. <laughs> Bubba and Seth Enslai coming down for the Monster Trucks. Quarter Park, 18th of March. Dwayne's World with Dwayne Russell. Welcome back to the program. Always great to have so many of your calls and your texts. We'll head back to your calls and texts very shortly. But another update on what's happening at the tennis, thanks to the Kia EV6 GT supercar, a pinnacle of engineering, Kia EV6 GT, the most powerful Kia ever crafted. And in the women's, well, there's a couple of huge matches happening today, obviously, but tomorrow, Victoria Azarenka takes the court again against Alana Robikina, and uh, Stefanos Tsitsipas is playing 
Karen Kachinov tomorrow. They are the big matchups. But uh, Robert Keener and Azarenka is going to be huge. And a man who's been trying to make sure Victoria Azarenka has an injury-free Australian Open is Alan Obbs, former AFL player, former physio with the Redbacks as well. He's got a long history in sport, but uh, this is a new foray for him into the world of tennis. He spoke to us last week, hopeful that Victoria would get through to the second week, and here she is, a chance to win the whole thing. Alan, great to have you back on the program. Well done on what you've done so far. Thanks very much, guys. Good to be here. Um, yeah, certainly I've played a very, very small part, but uh, yeah, Victoria herself, she's, um, yeah, she's flying at the moment. I'm really, yeah, absolutely stoked for her. So keeping her tuned, I suppose, is something that you have been entrusted to do. It's a late call-up you kind of got, but um, it is a fairly important role because Victoria has had a bit of a injury history in the past as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, everyone likes to, to feel valued, but uh, when you do get to the pointy end of these tournaments, um, I suppose my role gets a little bit more important, if you like. I mean, she's already played five games. So uh, that that takes its toll on its body. But, you know, when you spend so much time with with the one person, you just get really in tune with their body and, and what they're feeling. So not saying my job's easy all the time, but uh, it's really nice having so much access to someone. So you really get to implement whatever you want to do and whenever you want to do it. And, yeah, luckily I'm trusted to do a reasonable job. So just go through your background again for those who weren't with us last week. So you played AFL footy. You're a Sandful player and you were physio of the Redbacks for a while. And... You've been called up because of a uh, an encounter you had with Victoria where she wanted your services and all of a sudden liked what you were able to do and here you are. It's been a pretty quick transition for you? Yeah, it was a very, very quick transition. It's, I don't know, whether, whether you're playing sports or you're, or you're involved in sports, it always seems to be the way. You know, things can happen really, really quickly on, on a positive front or, or on a negative front. You know, you can get delisted, you can get sacked, you can move into state or whatever it is. Um, and it's been similar from a working perspective, but you know, the last year it's taken me all the way around the world with um, with a professional athlete and, and now a good friend in Victoria. So I was very, very lucky. Yeah, right place at the right time. And luckily, yeah, we got along well together and we, we enjoy spending time together. So she called you in at an Adelaide tournament, like what you were able to do. Um, and you were telling me you just got married and travelling the world wasn't necessarily on your agenda, but it looks like it's about to be on your agenda. Well, that's the one. I was uh, I was married for two days before I left my my lovely wife Jamie, um, and then took off to Melbourne. And at that stage, I was still with the Redbacks. But after the Australian Open last year, she was was kind enough to offer me a full time job. And yeah, after having some tough discussions with the wife and and work at Sacker, I decided to take this on. And so yeah, I've been doing it for the last uh, for the last year. And I mean, certainly where we're at at the moment as a team, uh, no regrets. Things are just progressing really, really nicely. So she's a Grand Slam winner, so she's had plenty of time uh, at the coalface and had plenty of advice from trainers and physios. Why have you got this affinity with her? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, she hasn't uh, won a Grand Slam. She's been very, very successful. But it's, uh, I think 2013 was her last year. So she's gone through a lot in her life, um, you know, mentally, physically, you know, having a child, a number of things in the uh, in her life that has happened. And I suppose just hearing maybe a slightly different message or the same message from a different person is sometimes everything you need. It's no different to, you know, an AFL coach. Sometimes you just need to revitalise the group. Um, so myself just coming in from a, you know, a different, like an Australian perspective, we, you know, we have a slightly different way of looking at, you know, injury prevention and, and strength and conditioning. And I think it was just nice for her just to hear a bit of a different voice um, after having the same physio with her for, 
some amount of years. And, and like I said, uh, she obviously trusts what I do and trusts in me, and we get along really well personally. So generally the communication between the two of us can be pretty honest, um, and I think that's the key. So she did address in the press conference after her recent win the injury she had 10 years ago, uh, the rib injury in 2013 where she took a medical timeout and people criticised her for doing it at the time, but it ended up being what she needed to do because she genuinely had an injury. Um, it's obviously played on her mind a bit since then because she raised it again 10 years down the track. Yeah, it's an interesting world. And it can be a cruel world because if you get injured, I mean, there's, there's nowhere to hide. You know, there's no teammates to rely on. It's just you out there. And in a physically demanding sport, um, it can be really tough. And even if you do win, you know, with an injury, um, you can get criticised. I mean, you know, you have the, the injury timeouts there for a reason. And I think even Djokovic at the moment is coming a bit of heat because, you know, he's not at 100%. Um, so it's, it's a really tough world with a spotlight on you. But certainly physically, I mean, you really want to feel on top of things because, as I said, there's nowhere to hide. So uh, if you do have a little niggle somewhere, it can really affect your performance. And you are allowed the injury timeout. So the, the perspective that we've had in sport is that most athletes, you know, football especially, uh, team sports, you get them hidden. We don't get told anything. Um, we, we don't put a bandage on it. Don't let anybody know. Make out it's not there. If someone asks you the question, well, lie and deny it. Where is in tennis, they seem to have a mindset that, well, it's there. I might as well tell you. And whether it's a, a 2% slight hamstring tightness or a 5% you know, slight hamstring strain, I'm telling you, I've got a hamstring issue. I've got to get it treated. Absolutely. And for some reason, it's a, it's a, it's a crazy world where they get criticised more often than uh, more often than not. Um, so it's a crazy, it's a crazy world. But the, the reason for that is, like I said, that you really can't hide. You know, the TV's on you, the crowd's on you. You're the only person there. So you might as well just be honest, try and get it treated, and, and crack on with it. And there is a bit of a history of um, ex-footballers being involved. Tom Couch with Daniel Collins. Uh, Todd Viney was a tennis coach for a while. Brett Stevens was fairly famous. Played 133 games for Fitzroy and was with. Well, Pete Sampras, Mark Philippoussis, Cara Black. So um, you, you follow in a, in a fairly long line. Yeah, I'm considering you know, there's not too many Australians in, uh, in, uh, in tennis, but uh, yeah, the, the ones that you mentioned were, um, yeah, well, I'm not, not by myself, which is, which is nice. I was couchy still involved, so I get to see him around a bit, which is always nice to, to speak for not only a fellow Australian, but someone with a, you know, a similar, similar background to you. So that's always good fun. And this will entail a, a long-term gig? Do you think you will be travelling if Victoria wins this? I can't see her wanting to let you go for the rest of the year. Uh, well, <laughs> that's the question you might have to ask my wife. But certainly, personally, I'm, a, <laughs> I'm enjoying the experience. I really do get along well with Vicky. We've got a good system. I mean, clearly it's working, not just with me, her coach. We've got a good team at the moment. Um, I don't think any professional athlete would want to disrupt that whilst things are going well. So, yeah, comfortable with where we're at at the moment. But... Um, yeah, if you, if you run into my wife on the street and you ask her, you might get a different answer, you know. <laughs> Alan, great to have a chat to you. Good luck tomorrow night. Let's hope it all goes to plan and for the rest of the tournament. Let's hope she wins it. Thank you so much, guys. appreciate that. Alan Olds joining us, uh, physio travelling and working with Victoria Azarenka, who has changed her career around again to become, well, she was the former number one in the world for a little while, so could be headed back in that direction again. We'll take a break. You're with Dwayne's World.